so here we are once more. Hello, I'm Paul Rose. Some of you might know me as Mr Biffo and I'm joined once again on the Between You and Me podcast by my dear wife, Sanya. Hello, everybody. Some of you might not know me as Mrs Biffo. No one calls you that. No, thank goodness. Thank you to everyone who's listened and subscribed to the podcast so far. We've been slightly taken aback by how well the first couple of episodes have have gone. Yeah, thank you, everyone. And we see from our analytics that we've got listeners as far afield as Australia. Yay! (laughs) And India. Oh, cool. I saw we had someone in Portugal as well. Yes, lots in Germany, which is no great surprise given Germany is a bit of a heartland of prog rock. So this week we're going to jump slightly forward from Market Square Heroes and Grendel and delve into the band's first album, which was released, I believe... In March 1983. So a little bit of background. Mm -hmm. Little bit of background. The album was recorded at the Marquee Studios. Now, Sonia, you've probably not heard of the Marquee, have you? I haven't, no. no. It's a bit of a legendary venue in London that became a bit of a home from home for Marillion. I think it was its, its second location in Wardour Street, which I... I think I went to once before it moved around the corner. You've actually been in the second or third location of the, of the marquee, which is now a pub. Yeah, that huge pub. Off oh, of that massive Charing pub with, Cross Road with the tree in it. No, oh. <laughs> it's got like something like the longest bar in London. It's got two entrances: one at the front, one at the back. Anyway, you've been there. Okay. Yeah, I'll take I, your I think word I was telling it. you about how I once had my shirt ripped off at a Goodbye Mr. McKenzie gig, more or less where we were standing. Rings a bell. I I, yeah. I still can't quite. Play place where it might be i was in the mosh pit wow Not go you yeah i know what a what a cool a rocker. Rock, rocking rocking dude i am i am the rockingest so the marquee uh it was a legendary venue but it also had a studio by the time they came to record their album marillion were more or less regulars having toured around buckinghamshire they ended up at the marquee where fish basically lived there and used to get in for free and and got to know all the, the staff so it seemed like a natural for them to then record their album album uh, right. at the makes marquee sense. it makes sense they replaced the producer of the market square hero single with a guy called nick torba who was considered by emi their record company as a, a little bit more modern right in that he'd recently produced records by toya wilcox and uh he, he'd famously recorded thin lizzie back in the 70s uh, i think okay so yeah you I've might, heard of them. you've heard of them so that's what you need to know. By this time, there was buzz around Meridian. They were seen as part of a, a new wave of British progressive rock. But it's fair to say that they were the only British progressive rock band of the 80s to really make a, a go of it. All right. But why? Yes. Well, we why need to delve into the album and okay. see if we can spot any clues as to why they, above IQ and Pendragon and the other wannabes, didn't make it. So side one of script for just a tear. That's correct. Which is, there's a nice simple break between side one and side two because it's only six tracks on the album mm-hmm. and three tracks per side, given that Grendel and Market Square Heroes didn't appear. So track one is mm-hmm. the title track. Script for a Jester's Tear. I'm going to let Sanya tell you what she makes of this, given that it's a track that you have heard live and you are familiar with. Yes, I have heard it live. Only sung by Steve Hogarth, though, of course. I really like this song. What I've got written here is that it's a very heart-wrenching song. (laughs) 
it's it's very emotionally evocative um listening to it again through headphones I it, it just it gets me involved how can you not with lyrics like I'm losing on the swings and I'm, <laughs> I'm losing on the roundabouts which I'm laughing at now but that bit always always gets stuck in my head and when I say gets stuck in my head it's not just for a day it will get stuck in my head for about a week you have a problem with earworms I do but especially with these fish Marillion fish era songs they're such earworms what is it about them it was something that he continued into his solo career somehow he's got a knack of coming up with phrases that I think that because they were particularly these songs with the exception actually of the the one we're talking about Squiff for Just a Steer they were all honed over several years live so I think he always kind of writes lyrics what you mean before they added them to an album yeah 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 before they oh, recorded right. them these songs were written to be played live except for this so this script for justice here was not written to be played live it, it was, was written, written for, for the, the album, album. okay but the other songs and yet and, it works so well live but the other songs they are i know but they they kind of developed that technique i think of coming up particularly fish who when he joined the band he was given some chunks of music and said write some lyrics they already had lyrics some of them from oh. the previous guy who was on vocals right but Grendel is one which started as a song called The Tower and Fish he he, I think has this knack of songs that could be chanted live chanted yes and that's exactly what people do when yeah. they see him which Steve Hogarth is a different sort of lyricist yes absolutely uh, he hasn't got that and I don't mean this in any kind of derogatory way to either Fish or Steve Hogarth, but he hasn't got that that kind of football stadium mentality mm. where, you know, you're going home in a ambulance or... My experience is like Steve Hogarth's lyrics tend to draw you inwards and Fish's lyrics draw you out of yourself and into the crowd and the audience that you're in and kind of... That, that's how that's my personal experience being in a live setting with each of them. That's interesting because certainly this album, I think, is written. It's all about the bed set and being very sort of in yourself. Uh, and no, what do you mean? Explain that. What do you mean by in yourself? There's something incredibly inward looking about certainly script for Jester's Tear, the song and the web. Yes. It's before Fish had started singing about the outside world, Mm. which he does get onto by the end of this album. But there's something very self-indulgent about, for me, these lyrics. Mm. Because... Well, let's let's find out what you what you think script for Justice Tear the Song is about. Okay, so now this is just going by the lyrics Promised Wedding Now Awake. Which is possibly my favourite line in the song is it? weirdly yeah. is it oh okay um well, i'm glad i singled that out then awake <laughs> <laughs> which i w- i didn't understand that that's what he was saying until i He's looked at the lyrics awake, not awake yeah and the lyrics about him going solo i'm guessing it might be a song about a really bad over dramatic reaction to a breakup yes in fact, a really bad breakup. I mean, n- not any breakup. N- his breakup with Kaylee. Oh, is it? This is the start. This album, effectively, what is the Kaylee trilogy? Which is this album, the next one, and then Misplaced Childhood, which was the album that had Kaylee on it. It was oh. Fish's first 
serious relationship. Right. And yeah, so hang on. I want to take that back because I said perhaps an overdramatic reaction to a breakup, but you can't really have an overdramatic reaction to a breakup if it's a really serious relationship. You get as dramatic as you need to. That's fine. Okay, you, no, heard, it. you heard it here first, everyone. <laughs> Sorry, Sanya's giving you fine. permission. <laughs> I don't mean that's fine. I just mean it's okay to feel your feelings. At the same time, there's something brilliantly young about writing this sort of poetry about a breakup and mm. someone who... What the song isn't so much about a breakup, it's about that fish caused it. So he's writing oh, about it from okay. the perspective of somebody, i.e. himself, who caused the breakup. And now so, I understand when he says to bleed the lyric for this song to write the rights, to write the rights, to write my wrongs. Yeah. Uh-huh. Another That's emotional I... suicide. It's self-inflicted. Ah. He's caused himself this pain. And okay. here it's very raw. So here I am once more in the playground of the broken hearts. I never did write that love song. The words just never seemed to flow. Now sad in reflection did I gaze through perfection and examine the shadows on the other side of morning. So this is him looking back and going, oh God, I screwed this up. Oh. It's taking responsibility for what he did, which in his words, uh, in interviews and things, he he put the band first. Fish is why Marillion got signed because he would go and hustle. He would give out demos. He would, you know, get on the phone. He was booking the gigs. Right. Marillion's early success, by their own admission, was driven by Fish. He he pushed them to success. And consequently, uh, it it led to the breakup of his relationship with Kay, who the song got named after. Her middle name was Lee, so he put the two together, Kay Lee. Okay, now now, now it makes more sense. So, you know, a lot of these lyrics here... Uh, I act so the rolling can... classic style of a martyr carved with a twisted smile to bleed the lyric for this song. Yeah, you've read that. An epitaph to a broken dream to exercise the soul. It's great. I mean, you know, let's a face scream it. scream that's born from, from sorrow. sorrow. It's up itself. I'm not going to beat around the bush with that. This This was a young man, perhaps overreaching in places, who is trying to come to terms with screwing up a, a relationship his first mm. big relationship. Yeah. It's <laughs> when I was 14, 15, when I read Fish's lyrics for the first time, oh yeah, I related. Not so much relating to the content, but you know, my interpretation of them and right. I was inspired to write poetry. And I think there are a lot of <laughs> kind of teenagers out there possibly still doing it. Or are they just going on TikTok and doing a dance instead of writing <laughs> dance, poetry? TikTok but, dance to, <laughs> about their breakup. Yeah, that's oh, that interesting. Sound, yeah, and yeah, my poems are all kind of wor- over overwrought and wordy, partly because they're inspired by fish, to be honest. But yeah, I mean, can I just ask you when he so when he says I'm losing on the swings, I'm losing on the roundabouts, and he's talking about the playground and stuff. Is it a playground because that's his first serious relationship, or is there some deeper meaning to it? I always because saw I had it. this horrible vision, like when I was listening to it. I wasn't. It wasn't when I wasn't listening to it properly. I was just kind of listening to it of like him as a toddler standing in a playground and crying. Do you reckon? Fish and was... I know that's not what it's about. <laughs> Do you reckon Fish was six foot five when he was a toddler? I think he was. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was the world's the biggest giant, toddler. The giant toddler. Um, I mean, my take on it always was that the playground is 
relationships. Like the game of love. The game of love. So I'm losing in the game of love, it's, yeah. he's trying to say. I'm losing. I don't know how you lose on a swing or a roundabout. That's what I was trying go. to work could, out, but I think I was overthinking it. it. I fell off a swing once. Oh, well, that's, hor- no. that's horrible when you fall off I a swing. I didn't fall off a swing. I tried to jump off and yeah, that's, winded that's myself. Actually, yeah, that's actually what I did. I said to my mates, look how cool this is. As I was really high and I, in my head I was going to do like a double flip or something. Same, I, I, think... I literally landed on my knees. Oh no, I think I landed <laughs> on my back. Nah, knees. Less cool. <laughs> At least landing on your knees is kind of Not really. sort of rock and roll. Well, when you tear your like jeans sliding out. Sliding along on your knees. I didn't slide. I just land on my knees. Ah! And cut, my knees were bleeding. Ouch. <laughs> I think I've still got Well, you scar. really did lose on the swings. I did. Yeah. Yet to lose on a roundabout. They oh. have roundabouts anymore because people used to get I don't their know. arms trapped in them. They are pretty unsafe. Yeah. I mean, they always scared me. The getting on and getting off bit always scared me that my foot was going to get trapped under it. They haven't got witches hats. I know that. No, because they were unsafe. They were really unsafe. Anyone else remember witches' hats? Anyway, we digress. Yes, that's way off topic. So, so it's, yes, it's a it's a breakup song. But I mean, I have to say as well, it is the lyrics are, are great, and it is it's made even better by the music. Yes, we should talk about the music, which is on this album. It, it's there's still moments there where you kind of recognise the meridian that that comes later mm-hmm. but it's quite simple in in some respects mm. you know it's got there's still different sections to the songs it's still very proggy and then it, yeah. it goes through different movements but it isn't quite as dense musically as, as some of their later stuff it, it it almost feels quite sparse but at the same time because it's got that slightly gothic edge and that that hardness that Marillion had then, it still feels kind of claustrophobic to me. Oh, does it? Yeah. Which again, it comes back to something we said in, I think, episode one, where the Marillion of that time Mm. were a perfect kind of package. That's what they were going for. Everything from what they did on stage to the visuals of the, the singles and the album cover to the music and the lyrics, all of it had that sort of, it, it always seemed very slightly gothic to me. This this album, oh, which which was jettisoned entirely by Fugazi. They so when you say gothic, do you mean gothic as in kind of ornate? And... Yeah, not not goth music. Yeah, okay, gothic. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it's Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something... I can see that. I can see that, especially like with the guitar. I mean, what I've written down here is what stood out to me in this song was the guitar and the bass, and yeah. I'm trying harder to because sometimes I tend to ignore the bass but when I actually hear it it's no but when I put in the effort to listen out for it it's like oh wow yeah that, he's a, he's it a, adds yeah. to the song in a, such a subtle way we've said way. it before but he is a remarkable he's very bassist. talented yeah yeah so I found with this song I love the beginning the middle part I didn't feel was as strong then in the end it was just like oh beautiful ending it's can you still say that you love me it was just like oh, i just love that ending yeah you can hear you can really hear the pain in his voice he's again a great actor when he's singing that's it he, yeah he, you can really whether he's, he's acting he's, he's got yeah. such an open bleeding heart you can just yeah. feel the emotion dripping out of him well I've, I've told you this before but on his album 13th star mm. which was another yeah another fish album that was all about love that ended slightly 
tragically he sounds a bit it's probably a bit much but he, he was engaged to get married and he uh the relationship broke up kind of just before the wedding but the, the love songs were all written for his wife to be oh no and there's one track on there the title track where he actually breaks down while singing it and it's left in they've left it in the edit God, it gets me every single time. Because you, you feel chart. his emo- I felt his emotion in, in script for A Jester's Tear. Yeah. I could feel his pain. Again, for me, and I promise everyone that by the time we get to Fugazi, the Genesis comments will have stopped. But it's still, unfortunately, uh, part of this era that you, you can't escape. That, for me, again, is what uh, made them different to bands like Genesis and that early sort of whimsical prog is is that that raw anger. There's a rawness. There's a to rawness it. to his emotion. Not just his anger. His in this song, I felt his pain more than his anger. Yeah. Maybe there was anger sort of directed at himself, but I I felt more his pain from it mm. and his hurt and regret. Yeah. To the point that it drove him to write a load of poncy poetry. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> and a cool earworm. Yeah, we've all been there, haven't we, Sanya? Yes, we have. What else is there to say about script? Oh, wow, yes. I can't mention this without mentioning uh, one of the first Marillion weekends at Butlins in Minehead. Yeah. Where Marillion, quite unannounced with Steve Hogarth, played script for the first time in a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. And I have probably even to this day yet to see a reaction like that at Marillion concert and we were in this kind of I don't know if it's a ballroom but it had a stage but it had a sprung floor for dancing Uh, and we were sharing Butlin's Minehead with of all things a country and western convention and they had the room below Marillion and we've got slightly annoying points because we could hear this you know while Marillion are doing their arty prog rock stuff and you could hear this country and western music coming up through the floor which was slightly distracting i'm very glad they went to holland instead yeah after that but uh script started and the place went insane but during the uh slightly bouncier bits the entire audience started jumping up and down and because the floor was there for dancing i had this sprung floor you'd jump up a foot but you'd come down about three feet because the floor oh, was going wow. up and down and it was genuinely scary. And apparently the, the country of Western people, they, the ceiling, they saw the ceiling going up and down. Oh, like a wave. Yeah, it's like sort of 3,000 people yeah, were jumping up I and wouldn't, down to script. I wouldn't have liked it. Well, I got, I got off the sprung floor in the end and kind of went still on the carpeted bit because it's it was like idea. this. You know, I've got visions of this sort of ending up on the news of, you know, 3,000 people. Marillion fans, well, 3,000 Marillion fans plus the 500 country and Western fans they landed on killed. <laughs> Imagine yeah. the carnage. Prog and country and Western collide. <laughs> wow, what a story that would have been, wouldn't when it? two music genres collide. Yeah, literally. So, yeah, they still mm. play script even now because it's such a, it's a great song and it's, it's got that sing-along song. Yeah. Uh, stuff. I remember them playing it at, at Milton Keynes Bowl in 1986 and I remember the woman behind me when they played it going, oh, I love this song. Now, I don't know why it surprised me. It really surprised me at the time. This is going to sound really sexist, but I was surprised that, that um, she was there as a fan as opposed to someone that her boyfriend had dragged along. <laughs> 
But here I am. Here I am doing a podcast with my wife. (laughs) So I think that script covered. It's a classic. It is definitely a classic. It's iconic. A classic of Marillion's. It's a new one. It's everything. Yeah. A good. It's a good song to start the album with. So, moving on to... Oh, Sha! I, I was going to shout very fish. Sha! Sha! Ow, ow, ow. Hope you all enjoyed those uh, little renditions of fishisms. So, moving on to... Well, I wanted to introduce this with a line that fish used to introduce it with, but I won't. I'll just ask you, what do you think is going on with He Knows You Know. Well, He Knows You Know. Hmm, problems, problems. I'm guessing with lyrics such as you've got venom in your stomach, you've got poison in your head, which was probably my favourite line in the song, (laughs) um, and singing psychedelic praises to the depths of a china bowl, which is how I'm going to talk about vomiting from forevermore. Do you know what? Until a couple of days ago, I never realised that line meant throwing up. Oh, really? I was like, oh, okay, he's mixing his drugs in a bowl. That shows how much I know about drugs. Oh, yeah, he's mixing up some LSD in, in a bowl. In a giant bowl, China bowl. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, yeah, from now on, anytime anyone says they feel sick, yeah. I'm going to talk about singing psychedelic praises. Oh, you're off praises. to sing some psychedelic praises. yeah. Um, so I'm guessing, is is the whole album, is it a concept album? Well, no. No, okay. But Fish has, has, a, has a point kind of described it as a three album sort of cycle that was all loosely related to one another. Right. And certainly I can see, and I hesitate to say concept, but kind of a narrative running through the songs Right. At least on the first side of script. Yeah. So this is what I was wondering. Is it um is it a song it sounds to me like a song about well it's obviously a song about substance misuse, but I don't know see this is the bit that confuses me. It's um the he in the song. He knows you know, he's got experience, he's got problems, listen to the lie, he fed. Is it a song about him with through after his breakup, with all his re- all his regrets and his pain leading him down a path of uh, substance misuse? Or is it about someone else? Or uh, otherwise I have got no idea. What it's about is Fish, I think, apparently worked in the Department of Social Security for a while. Right. And he was inspired to write this after suffering uh, amphetamine-related stomach cramps one day while at work. Oh. So it's about himself. It's the he knows you know is about someone on drugs he's never but directly said the song is autobiographical it obviously is to some degree Mm. but that he knows you know refers to you don't need to tell him he's got a problem he knows oh i see okay he knows you know 
Right. It's you not, know. It's not, it's not, oh, okay. <laughs> it's not he knows that you know, which is how I interpreted no. it. So now I was all confused. Ah, uh, okay. And it's not linked to his breakup from the first Well, song. unless you can kind of go, he then got very druggy after the breakup. Yeah. And then I suspect he was probably doing all sorts during the relationship. Given that Market Square Heroes was written in a graveyard while oh, true. <laughs> all tripping. <laughs> true, true, true. Okay. Um, yeah. It's not a lot to say about this. No, I found it catchy again. It was a single. It's got a good beat to it. Um, I love the keyboard in it. I've never really liked it. And you I know that's haven't. kind of heresy because hmm. a lot of. Marillion fans really do love it as a single. It got it was their first top forty single. Got to number thirty five. That's good it going. Was released before the album it was the lead into the album. Oh right. <sighs> I yeah, don't know. I mean, it's I have fine. written that it's catchy. I also wrote it isn't something I'd necessarily buy or go and listen to of my own of my own accord. But I I do enjoy listening to it and singing along. So it is. It has got something catchy to it. Yeah, I, live when I've seen it. When I've seen, for instance, uh, Still Marillion play at the tribute band, mm. it's great. You know, it's, it's an amazing tribute and band, by the way. For any listeners out there that haven't seen them, Still go and see them. They're great. Their lead singer uh, went on tour with Steve Rothery. Yeah, he's got classic. such a strong voice. He's got an amazing voice. And if you're really lucky, they'll mess up a song and turn it into an Iron Maiden track. <laughs> oh, do you remember that I think, yeah. that was great anyway uh, <laughs> but I don't know it's alright it's not Marillion for me they've done some really heavy songs but when they attempt and this this is even more so in the Steve Hogarth era, era for me when they try and do a sort of straightforward rock song mm. it's <sighs> And I'll say say this charitably, it's not what they do best. What do you feel they do best? I, I it's when they embrace being prog. And what I mean by prog, because there's I should probably qualify this as well. There's a lot of prog that I don't like, and I would say the vast majority of progressive rock I'm not a fan of. Mm-hmm. I like the prog bands that do their own thing, that don't just kind of go, We're prog, so we write like this. Right. Which is that sort of pastoral very English sounding whimsy. I've never been, you know, Genesis probably did it best, but those other bands who kind of try and be Genesis-esque or copy what Yes did. I've always liked the bands more like Pink Floyd. No one really sounds like Pink Floyd, apart from Marillion sometimes. Uh, (laughs) When Rothers is on a bit of a Gilmore trip. Yeah, I struggle with so much prog. And yet I love Marillion. I would never really describe myself as a prog rock fan, but I'll, I'll always give something a go if it's described as proggy. I think Stephen Wilson and Porcupine Tree, he gets it. Mm. He, he embraces the progressive in prog rock. Right. Which is why you'll get an album for him that will be really heavy, followed up by an album that is sounds like an 80s pop album, followed up by a single that is, is electronic dance. He, he's trying to push music and what he does forwards the whole time and Marillion when they do that when they're trying to paint a picture with the music I think you know they're they're absolutely unparalleled Mm. 
there's not another. It's the band storytelling like that. that we the story spoke telling. of in the previous episode. Yeah. Okay, here's a question: Do you feel that the Fish era did the rock songs better than the H era, or do you think well, that they're both equal? Fish, because they were sort of heavier in the Fish era. Their influences seemed heavier. They sort of softened in a lot of ways in the H era. In in that they seem to have embraced. Yeah, you would never have heard this back in the day, but they now are always name checking Joni Mitchell and mm. Crowded House and the Beatles. Back in the eighties, you, you would never have heard Marillion say we're big Joni Mitchell fans. <laughs> that would have right. been death for the band. So they were playing up more the rock aspect of the prog rock well, they, they rather often, than the prog aspect of the prog rock. They often talked back then about being sort of influenced by sort of punk and post-punk as much as they were by prog, which I don't know how true it is, but they definitely had a spikiness. Right. Which helps with a song like He Knows You Know. Yeah. It it, it does give it a little bit of that, that raw, hard it's got that energy. edge, yeah. Uh, whereas when H does it, I'm trying to think of a song like... A song like um, Oh, name an H rock song. You're the expert. Yeah, I know. I I'm, I'm keep wanting to say Lucky Man, which I know you like. I, I was trying to call was... that a rock song. Uh, all right, okay. Uh, Thunderfly. Oh, I don't, I'm not familiar with that. You will be. Uh, <laughs> oh, you will Thunderfly, be. Thunderfly, where they do a sort of Elvisy kind of. Why have I never heard? I've never even I've never even heard the name Thunderfly. Yeah. Um, okay, I that's one to I look d- forward to. I just don't buy it. And yet, when you get to Fear, the latest album, yeah, there's a real anger on that. That I think, but it's a different kind of anger. It's very different to what Fish did. It's a global anger. Yeah, there's still a sort of pent up frustration that they've really captured. Mm. Anyway. Yes, they have, but it's a complete. It's on a different. It's on a different scale. Yeah. So I would say that the the anger and the rage that Fish was able to sort of harness helps a song like He Knows You Know. But Mm -hmm. sorry, those of you that love it, and I know there's a lot of you, I do find it just a bit nothing, a bit bland. It's fine. It's sing along because Fish is very good at that. You Mm. know, the the he knows, you know. Yeah, I love that bit. And what is interesting as well to me, I was telling you this in the car yesterday, is that H apparently was prepared to sing He Knows You Know one of the Marillion weekends and they had a vote on what songs people would want to hear and He Knows You Know came like right at the bottom of the poll and he changed his mind. But would I want to hear Steve Hogarth singing He Knows You Know? My God, yes. I have, <laughs> Next no, time. I have no idea how that would work. Put in your vote now. <laughs> yeah, there's certain songs, something like Script for Jester's Tear because mm. H is so good at... Doing the kind of heartfelt emotional stuff. It was a song like He Knows You Know that's about drugs paranoia. I can't imagine him singing that. But he, I I have full faith in his ability to make it mean something to him and therefore mm. to make it his own. Yeah, maybe. I reckon he could. Well, yeah, and I'd, I'd love to hear it. Maybe so you'll it, be lucky yeah, one day. Maybe. I don't know. I think, I think they're... They've played all the fish era songs they're going to play now. I don't think he's. Oh, gonna... you think they get them all out of their <laughs> yeah, system? I, well, yeah, I think they've got their, their half a dozen that they'll they'll wheel out of the conventions. Uh, I don't think they're going to suddenly introduce a new one now. So yeah, he knows you know it's fine. Yeah, not a highlight for me. Okay, you just you're just going to give it as a, a, a an it's fine as your final words. I for don't know it. what more to say. I've, uh, there's it's one of those. 
Marillion songs that the fan that I feel out of step with the fans. Right. That a lot of them seem to like it. And there's a couple there's a there's one on the beast the B side, side two of script for Jester's Tear that we'll get to in the next episode. That is another one that fans really love and that a lot of fans really want Hogarth to sing. But it just oh, I don't get it. Another one on Afraid of Sunlight, Out of This World. I just find that a dirge. But we'll get to that in about two months' time. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> Sorry if I'm shooting some sacred cows <laughs> along the way, but this is all going to be subjective, I'm afraid. Yeah. Feel free to drop us a tweet or message on Facebook. We've got a Facebook page now, by the way, Pod. B-Y-A-M. Pod. Yeah, P-O-D. so you can tell me why I'm wrong to have my opinions. <laughs> <laughs> So that's, yeah, it's a short song. It's a pop rock song. It's average. Sorry, but it's a good sing-along. It's a good sing-along live. So, moving on to the final track on side one of script mm-hmm. for Jester's Tear and thus begins The Web What's your take on this? It's, okay. a, prog, it's, a, it's a bit of a prog epic it's so another eight minutes like script It is nine. an epic and in in <laughs> after my first listen I did write in my notes could be a bit shorter <laughs> <laughs> Yeah they, they'd never been ones for self-editing Marillion um, I wasn't sure about it at first I have to admit Especially the beginning bit, I was wondering if it was a little bit too theatrical with with phrases like, I'm the Cyclops in the tenement, which I've got no idea what that means. But then as it develops, I started to really appreciate the theatricality of it. We're in kind of Grendel theatrical territory. Yeah, I, I was, yeah. So when, I think it was from, from the line where he says, and thus begins the web... That's when I, from then on, that's when I started to really appreciate the theatricality and his almost um, operatic way of drawing out his words it, and the the keyboard and, and stuff like that. It just made me feel, I was really enjoying it. I was enjoying the drama of it. What it's about, I don't know. It seems, so okay, so if I'm, my brain was still trying to link it with the theme of script for a jester's tear. So I was like, is it about him being trapped in his apartment? Well, not trapped, but God lost his key. (laughs) (laughs) Can't get out. Um, And sort of looking through the memories and uh, from the, from his lost relationship and, and and things like that. This is an old Meridian song. Is it existed in another form as a song called close? I uh, see. So it's got nothing to do with Fish. script for a jester's tear. Yes, because Fish rewrote or wrote his own lyrics for it. Oh. It was a song that he inherited. Right. Um, those of you who aren't Meridian fans who are listening to this, and I know there's one or two, Fish would certainly contribute vocal melodies and the like, but he wasn't a musician. On stage, he would play percussion in those early days, which during the instrumental passages would give him mm-hmm. something to do, apparently. So he'd, he'd whack a couple of tom-toms. For a bit, but he uh, he's not a musician, so he when he joined the band, they, they would give him bits of music and say, could you provide some new lyrics for this? And the web was one of those that came out of it. I see, okay. 
for me, there are two versions of it that I prefer to the version on the album, which one is a really early demo version of it that I that I bought on bootleg back when I was like 16. And that's partly down to the the lack of production. I, I like the fact it's sort of recorded on a home cassette tape and it's hissy and it just adds to the atmosphere for me. And then there's the version on the recital of the script live concert. And there's the line in there in the song, which he kind of whispers in the studio version, but even jesters cry. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I know, <laughs> it's, I know okay. it's over the I, top. I, I did cringe when, I, when he said that. I'm sorry. I know. I, I can't help it. It's just a reflex. <laughs> Any mention of jesters. Or, and I'm just cringing. I wish jesters could be cooler. I will show you after we've finished recording mm. the live version of it. Because he doesn't whisper that line. He screams it. And he has a look on his face of pure disgust and anger. And it absolutely makes the song for me. When you see him, it's somehow very different to just listening it, listening to it. And also the the live version ends, the 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 the, the final section when all the music sort of comes together and it builds and it's got that da, 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 oh, da. I love the final section yeah I do I love the ending that of the web that final section is I'm sorry that is with the keyboard the, the keyboard is exquisite and I've got no better word for it but when you see the live version for me even better it's got a sort of real bounce to it jaunty yeah but, yeah. The, but the live, live they, they ramp that up oh and, right and I'll show you it, but it's, yeah. it's amazing. And this is something that I noted in the song. I was like, especially in that that last section, I mean, the keyboard to me almost sounded like a little flute in parts. Mm. So there was the keyboard and the drums and everything. And, and it was all sounding quite jaunty. And then you had his really angry lyrics contrasting with it. For me then, yeah. what this song's about, mm. it's it's essentially a second part of script for Jester's Tear. Okay, that's when he's been blaming himself. Here, he slipped into... There's an ice cream van going past. <laughs> Anyone else hear that? What a shame it's not playing a Marillion song. So for me, this is, he slipped into a kind of depression here. He's stuck indoors because he's not going out because he's low. But by the end of the song, which starts with, and thus begins the web, mm-hmm. it ends with, and thus ends the web. By the end of it, he's kind of gone, no, I need to pick myself up and move on. The changes have to be made. Yeah. Yeah, my favourite bit from the song was that verse where he says, I realise I hold the key to freedom. Oh, I cannot let my life be ruled by threads, which I don't know what the threads are. The time has come to make decisions. The changes have to be made. And then it goes into that end section, which is amazing. Yeah. This is Fish getting literary again. So I've got a new book for you to go away and read. Oh, I haven't finished Grendel yet. After you finish Grendel. Just a small side note, after reading Grendel, I've got so much more to say about the song. Like I have such a much deeper respect for the song. And it was already a perfect song. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Please continue. <laughs> <laughs> it alludes to Homer's Odyssey. What? The wife of Odysseus, better known in... This song, The Web. The Web. Okay. Threads. That that was a twist. Yeah, I knew you didn't see that coming. No, I didn't. (laughs) Oh, wow. Uh, And um, the wife of Odysseus, also known as Ulysses, 
Ulysses, Ulysses, soaring through all the galaxies. Anyway, so Ulysses, stroke Odysseus, mm. uh, went off to fight a war and his wife Penelope was left at home. And Penelope was an attractive lady and got a lot of suitors in that time. And so she started weaving a shroud or web. Oh, that's what the flaming shroud is in the yeah. song. So she started oh, making that me. and she would say to her suitors, when I finish this, then my husband is dead and you can get your leg over. But every night she'd never finish it because every night she would unpick the web. Oh, I see. So this is fish from what I get. He's never able to move on because every night. He, start, he goes back the, and he goes back thinks and about her it. and about his relationship and he's yeah. just not over her. He's not ready to get over her yet. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Oh, shit. <laughs> I, knew, I knew once I explained that to you yeah. that you were going <laughs> to... can't help it. So things like the Cyclops that's mentioned in there. Yes. That's another thing from Which Greek mythology. Which I was mytholo- like, what? Yeah. Once again, it's, an, it's another reference to Greek mythology. Oh. Um. So he read a lot of books. He did. He was a clever fellow. Well, yeah, he certainly wore his, oh, I'm clever on his sleeve, didn't he? Look at me. I've written a song about Grendel. Oh, I've written a song. <laughs> oh, I'm not I'm sure like I'm making that's fun, what it but was. God, I love it. Oh, so, okay, now it all makes so much more sense. Yeah. And I have a greater appreciation for it. But still... It was the, the that keyboard at the end and the drum and everything. For me, oh. yeah. I it, it's my second favourite song. Actually saying that there's Garden Pie on the on yeah. side too. Oh, that's tough. Yeah. But I love the I love this song and I'm not sure I've ever seen it live. I saw the first time I saw them was in uh nineteen eighty six. Was meant to be nineteen eighty five, but Fish had the first of his long documented sore throats and the the gig got postponed to early 86 but i don't know if they played the web then see i have this feeling that i saw it on that tour but i I can't remember anyway i i do i love this song it's 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 theatrical again it tells a story once you dig into it actually it's a bit clever than it's slightly wanky lyrics appear to (laughs) you know yeah don't be fooled by the lyrics yeah they're smarter than they look Mm. yeah they're not just someone they're not just being poetic For the sake of it, they're actually saying something. He's There's a meaning metaphor. behind them. Yeah. He was clever. Yeah. It's telling, though, that how it was still the work of a young man because he really doesn't write songs like that anymore. Not to that degree. Mm. His lyrics have become uh, certainly less wordy. He's still great at a, a, a visual image that he can conjure up. But... Again, this Like Grendel for me is a song that all of it holds together as, as an entire piece. Right. You, you know, musically, the vocal delivery and the words and the atmosphere of it, that all of those combined together mm. just create something that, that's very unique. So out of Script for a Jester's Tear, He Knows and You Know and The Web, which one is your favourite out of those three? I'm going to say script because script live, I've seen it live so many times and it's always a, oh my God, they're playing script. Mm. And the web is more involved and intricate. It's it's a harder song to love. Mm. But for me, it's a very, very close second to script. Mm. 
really poor he it. knows you know of course we can't we can't mention the web without right. the live performance that fish used to give of the web which was another one in which he he went a bit ott oh was it yeah every night i don't think i've ever seen it oh you've got something to look forward to when you oh finish i should have this. done that as research for this episode he, I'm sorry, listeners, I failed you. Every night on stage, he would rip up a rubber plant. A rubber plant? Yeah. That's mentioned in the song, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Look at you, so excited <laughs> by that. What's that about? Crying midst my rubber plant, ignoring beckoning doors. Yeah, ignoring people knocking at his door because oh. he's in there with his plants. But yeah, he would he would tear out the plant on stage. Oh. There you go. Yeah. He would also do a bit of that with He Knows You Know. When they played He Knows You Know, he would use the uh, microphone as a syringe and pretend to shoot up. With the microphone? Yeah, he'd get it and kind of put it in the crook of his arm. and mm. Yeah. You know. Dark. That's what he did. He was a performer. Or he still is. He is a performer. He is. He's a, the performer of my heart. I don't know what that means. It's just Let's move on from that. Okay. <laughs> so while I was um, looking up the album, I was trying to find some early live reviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't, well, I did find some, but I'm not going to bother reading them because they're not that interesting because they just mention Genesis a lot. But I did find a, an article from 2013 by the music journalist Taylor Parks, mm-hmm. who entitled Far From Useless, Far From Good, Marillion's Script for Jester's Tear. So is that just a long-winded way of saying it's average? Far uh, from useless, far from good. Yeah. That's that's average, right? Well, you think so, but by God, does he lay into them? Oh, he uh, he apparently he was a fan when he was fourteen, right? And he, where are we? This was on this was on the website, The Quietus. Apparently, he's written for Melody Maker and When Saturday Comes and the like. Uh, he's a year younger than me, just saying. So he's he's. Other favourite groups at the time, aside from Marillion, were the Smiths, The Fall, The Bad Seed, Sonic Youth, Youth, then the likes of Sid Barrett, uh, The Velvets, Motown, Dylan, bit of Miles Davis. So he gives you an idea of where his musical tastes really lie. And he, he wrote a lot about Britpop back in the 90s. So he's one of those, was a big early supporter of Oasis, which makes it ironic that, of course... It's that he writes, it's true what they say. It sounds like Genesis. I didn't know at the time. And what Genesis sound like is one of those things you have no need to know when you're 14, blah, blah, blah. And he then goes on about smug, whimsy. It's just, anyway, he just absolutely lays into them, right? But it's all the old, the same old easy rubbish that Marillion fans have had. Frankly, now I've had it for 35 years. Right, the easy same... rubbish, like easy criticisms. Yeah, you know, and the stuff that you and I, as we're going through this and starting mm. to discover that actually, yeah, they were young men and, you know, there was a certain naivety to the script for Justice Tear album, a lot of which would be gone by Fugazi. And yeah, there was some basis for the sort of Genesis comparisons, some of which we will get onto when we discuss side two. But despite that, there's a reason why Meridian thrived in the 80s and have endured to today and can set mm-hmm. out the Royal Albert Hall. There was more to them than that. Anyway, as he describes the lyrics here, they're fucking horrible. That's a bit harsh. His words. And I have had enough of these edgelord, beta male, 
Fred Perry polo shirt wearing twats over 35 years who think they're being cool by slagging off Marillion. Frankly, you know, if you're putting your eggs in the Oasis basket and saying that Oasis are the future of, of rock and roll, then you have absolutely no grounds or basis to criticise any band. So you can take your freaking Marky Smith and the fall and shove them up your ass because I am Ooh. done after 35 years. Is Marillion perfect? No. Was Fish a perfect lyricist? No. Have they done some rubbish stuff? Yes. But then you show me another band with 18 albums who haven't done some landfill filler in that time. You know, the, the, the fact is Marillion have pushed themselves and have attempted to push the type of music they make far more than any Oasis or Mark every bloody song sounded the same so don't come round here with your fish lyrics are horrible and that it's whimsical and painful and the like I've had enough that's it sorry I should have structured that rant a little bit better but that's fine. It, it's said now. The only so, thing, yeah. So, the, so Taylor Taylor Parks Parks with an E. What sort of a name is Taylor Parks with an E? Parks. It sounds like a what a wanker. No, all I can take from your little your little rant your rant is thirty five years to get to this rant. You've got a really long fuse. Oh, I'm sure there's still got to be more because Taylor Parks Parks with an E is going to become my go to. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he now represents every music journalist who mm. mistakes slagging stuff off with with good quality journalism. I've been there. I used to write reviews about video games, right? I know. Oh, you can get a good reaction, and people people who are reading it think, oh, if you you can come up with a funny way to describe something as bad, yeah, they'll mistake that for good journalism. Try describing something as good in a funny way. Try doing that. That's harder. It's a lot harder, Taylor Parks with an E, with your Fred Perry polo shirt. I mean, this is Taylor Parks from 35 years ago. He may have changed his opinions Bums, by now. this is 2013. Oh, sorry. I thought, it was 30, I thought it was from back in the 80s. Yeah. Which I think concludes I this think, week's podcast. I, th- I think it... <laughs> <laughs> On that positive note... On that positive note, I'm speaking for every million fan who's ever part of this. But I mean, I'm just saying, like, and this, this is what I'm trying to... As I, listen to, as I listen to these songs and albums, I'm trying to keep in mind, I'd like to be honest. I don't want to go full on and say something is... I don't want to criticise just for the sake of criticising or just for the sake of feeling that in order to have a balanced review, you need to have really terrible criticism of something. And I don't want to be overly, like, praiseful if it, if I don't actually feel that way. So... And if, I'm the same. I'm so not... For example, yeah. if it comes to Grendel, when I say it's an awesome song, that is full 100% honesty there. I believe we're going to get grief because I said I don't really like He Knows You Know. But that's what you're going to get from us. We're at least going to be honest about it. And as... Marillion fans will know we can slag off the band and criticise them more than anyone but the second someone else who's an outsider comes in and does it who doesn't really understand Mm. then we will join ranks and stand shoulder to shoulder it's like family 
you know, yeah, we can all take the piss out of our siblings, but if anyone else did it, well, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I jest, of course. And now I weep. Oh, the jester's tear. So, uh, that was side one. Side one complete. Hope uh, you enjoyed that. Uh, Next time we're going to be looking at side two, which Mm -hmm. some of you will know are charting no not charting the oh, single that, that was one. the b-side of who knows you know uh we'll be looking at side two, which is, yep, garden party the classic garden party chelsea monday and forgotten sons there we go so please give us a subscribe please tell people about us that's the most important thing at the minute and go follow us on twitter at Biampod. Which you can also find us on facebook at Biampod. every time you say that i think of biatches um, that's unfortunate. I know. It's the biat bit. Hi there, biatches. Come and listen to Biam Pod. This, this podcast has had more endings than Lord of the Rings. <laughs> right, we'll uh, talk to you next time. See ya. Bye. Bye.